This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me. It's podcasts for the weird at heart. You're listening to Keep Screaming, a horror podcast from two best friends dissecting horror movies one by one. My name is Ryan Larson. And my name is B-Bass. Every two weeks, we will bring you a brand new episode where we dissect a slasher film from top to bottom. We will look at the movie as a whole, going over the story, the casting, music choices, go kill by kill, and then rank it on how it succeeds as a slasher film. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at ScreamingCast or by searching Keep Screaming. You can find me at B not B, that's B-E-E, not B-E-A, and Ryan at Ryan Larson. You can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and Castbox, or online at podpeople.me or keepscreaming.com. This week we are dissecting 2006's Cold Prey, directed by Roar Uthog. But first, our pop culture check-in. For new listeners, our pop culture check-in is a chance for you to get to know what we've been watching, reading, and consuming outside of our movie this week, as well as life updates. The big life update is B is going to pop a baby out like any minute now. I'm officially full term. Yes. So the next episode, which we are recording today, um, will not have any pop culture check-in since we're recording it the same day as this episode. So it will be kind of an abbreviated episode. Uh, I figured I'd just tell you guys about that and then we'll say it at the top of the next episode as well. Um, But we did watch plenty this week. Mm -hmm. Um, We have changed the venue. We're recording at my house right now. Because B has a nursery now. Instead of an office. <laughs> Instead of an office. So um, we will be recording here, uh, most likely, for the foreseeable future. Um, and we are also, well, I am also watching WrestleMania. It's on in the background with no noise, and B is very confused by what is happening. Wrestling is seriously, like, the most confusing thing to me. I try and be respectful because a lot of our friends like it, but I just, I don't get it. It's, it's... not for everyone. It's definitely a, I think it's a... You almost had to grow up with it. I was going to say, like, I wonder if it's just one of those things that you really have to have, like, the nostalgia for it. Yeah. And not come in as an adult and be like... And, like, question those things. Because there are certain things that, like, you just question too much as an adult. But if you grow up with it, you just accept it. And you're like, yeah, this is just how it is. Well, and I get that they're, like, athletes and this is, like, choreographed. And it takes a lot of time. Like, I totally respect that. But what the outcome is, I don't find entertaining. I think if I found, like, Glow is entertaining. Because there's real drama behind it, yeah. Well, yeah, but not just that, but even, like, you know, their routines. Like, I find them interesting. Right. Um, and, like, these, I'm looking at it, and I'm like, that just, there was a lot of, like, somebody just won a match by, like, not being in the ring the whole time. And then they just, like, popped in and were like, yeah, we got it. And then they started, like, fake crying, and I'm like... Not only did you, that was boring, but you're a bad actor. That's bad crying. If I want to watch bad acting, I'll watch Freeform. Or soaps. But or this soaps. is kind of like a soap. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, on four times a week or whatever. It's, yeah, it's kind of like a soap. Yeah. So, yeah, I get that. But that is happening in the background, just with the volume down. So for you wrestling fans, which I feel like there's a lot of overlap with wrestling and horror, Yeah, absolutely. Um, Kofi Kingston and Daniel Bryan right now are in a match. So that's where I'm at, just so you know. Um, so I think we'll start with what B and I both saw, which was Us. Guys, 
be so proud of me. I saw a horror movie when it came out. Yeah. In I theaters. mean, we saw I mean, Escape Room. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I do that, but I've just been bad this last year. Also, that. you've been pregnant, so yeah. excuse. Um, so if you, I guess, live under a rock, but somehow still manage to listen to our podcast and don't know what us is, and it's obviously the new horror movie from Blumhouse and Jordan Peele, um, who did Get Out, um, and just two movies in, and people are already saying that Jordan Peele is a master of horror, and I 100% completely agree with them, because us is a masterpiece. Uh, it is a beautiful movie. Uh, it's really hard to talk about without really diving into like spoilers or anything. Yeah. It's essentially about a family that is, I mean, this isn't like real spoiler-ish, it's shown in the trailer, like a family that is pretty much kind of hunted by doppelgangers of themselves. Um, but it gets much deeper, much more, there's a lot to unravel there. Um, but I mean, it's just, it's so good. It's so beautifully made. Just from the first, when the movie starts, there's this scene on the boardwalk in Santa Cruz and mm-hmm. as soon as the little girl, um, Adelaide as a child, goes down to the beach, like, and like there's the storm on the beach, and there's the fire, and there's like the fun house behind her, I just immediately was like, I'm gonna love this movie. Yeah. Jordan Peele knows how to set up a shot. It's it's crazy. No, his yeah. I mean, not only are his scripts interesting, they're really dynamic. They're creepy and they're horror in a way that's really approachable mm-hmm. which is why i think he often like people say get out in a horror film and people are saying us isn't a horror film because they're confused because they're like but i laughed but it was funny mm-hmm. um but there was like sequences of action it's like yeah horror is an genre that is encompassing of other genres as well um it's they can all live within one another. Absolutely. And I think a lot of people who aren't into horror, like my cousin even texted me, he's like, because I posted on Instagram that I'd seen it, and he's like, oh, like, cuz, what'd you think of us? Like, I, I'm i really, conv- like, I laughed a lot. Like, I didn't think it was scary. And I'm like, that's okay. You didn't necessarily have to think it was scary. Mm-hmm. That's not necessarily the horror of this film i thought it was creepy as all hell oh yes like oh my goodness i literally like got heebie-jeebies and i grabbed my husband a couple times and i'm like oh i don't like this it like creeps me out it's it's, but i didn't like there's no 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 yeah there's no like oh my god like it's not that kind of horror there's tension and there's dread and Mm -hmm. like basically jordan peele is kind of doing because that's so right now i think we exist in a realm of horror where the two biggest forms of horror right now are, are jump scares, and that's kind of the Wanaverse. That's like what James mm-hmm. Wan does, and he does it beautifully. Don't get mm-hmm. me wrong. I'm not knocking jump scares. Uh, James no, Wan. Jump scares, I love jump. Yeah. I love jumping yeah. and yeah. getting scared. I love that's jump scares. Rush. And James Wan knows how to do that. Um, and then there's also like this genre of like kind of slower dread building tension. That's what A24 is doing with a lot of their horror films. Mm-hmm. And I think that Jordan Peele has tapped into both. It's like a middle ground where. It's not quite as slow and plotting as A24 movies are, but there's still that sense that sense of tension and that sense of dread. Like, I get that, like, there were moments in this movie, it doesn't hold on to me like it does in, like, Hereditary, per se. Like, Hereditary grabbed me and, like, filled me with dread the entire movie, but there are parts of this movie where I feel that. There are parts of this movie where, mm-hmm. where you're, like, real close to a jump scare because mm-hmm. it's just, like, a well-framed shot. Well, yeah, and you're just like, I'm not sure where this is going, mm-hmm. and I'm uncomfortable. Exactly. It makes you uncomfortable. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, he's, from top to bottom, I mean, everything he, the writing... 
the I mean the cinematography, the acting, Lupita Nyong'o and um, Winston Duke were both absolutely incredible. Elizabeth Moss and Tim Heidecker as like supporting characters were amazing. Mm-hmm. The children were the children fantastic. Were yeah. uh, in particular, the girl who plays her as a child yeah. was exceptional. Um, and then the score, I mean, all of his soundtracks, mm-hmm. I love them because he infuses African music with hip hop and with, um, he like does a lot of classical. Um, there's a, the, the song I've Got Five on it is like a very integral part of this movie. And there's a scene that uses an orchestral score to that song. And it's one of the most like chilling, haunting, beautiful sequences I've ever seen in a movie. <laughs> Uh, but well, and because we're like from Northern California, and the Bay is very close to us, well, my husband. I mean, B yeah. lived in Santa Cruz. Yeah, I lived so. in Santa Cruz, so that was crazy too. Because I could. Well, there's my laptop. Um, guys, I got an email. Uh, yeah, it was really weird for me because I I think they filmed everything down south except for the shots on the border. I mean, that's a Santa Cruz boardwalk is a hundred percent. Oh there. yeah, definitely. And it is was very weird for me because I lived there and I used to just be down there on a casual night and I was just like, whoa, this is so insane. Yeah, I don't know. It's always fun when you can yeah. see somewhere that you know very well. Um, we've spent, I mean. You and I have both spent numerous summer days on the Santa Cruz boardwalk. So. Yeah, and on the beach, and yeah, it's it's funny too because there's also like like a few nods in there. Like I think I'm pretty sure there's a Lost Boys reference. There is, yeah, um, in at the, the very beginning, beginning of the movie. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, they're Lost like, Boy. oh, I think they're filming something, and it's yeah. like film. They're filming Lost Boys. Yeah, and the very beginning too. There's like a scene where they're which ends up playing a big role in the film later on, but they're showing like a commercial. But it's like an entertainment center, and you can like see these VHSs, and it's like Chud. Once and, Chud, which yeah. is yeah, Jordan Peele. I mean, he's just a fan of the genre yeah, too. Yeah, and, and he loves so I love those little there. Easter eggs for you know people like us who are big horror fans. Like we see that, and we know what he's talking about, and that's like the level of respect he has, even though he's making whatever you want to call it, genre bending or any of that fucking bullshit. Like. <laughs> He's a horror fan. Oh, absolutely. He's making horror movies for the masses, and mm-hmm. that's a beautiful thing. My uh, my husband's not a huge horror fan. Like, he'll watch it with us, but, like, usually he's not too keen on them. He's like, yeah, that was fine, or that was entertaining. He likes the fun ones. He mm-hmm. likes, like, the Fridays and, like, the stuff where you can, like, you know, Zombieland. just... Zombieland. Yeah. Zombieland. Like, the ones that have a little bit more comedy, mm-hmm. intentional or not, um, which I totally get because I love those, too. Um, but he, I mean, even he was like, this is, it was really good. Yeah. It's, and I mean, it's doing, it's doing very well, which is awesome. Always love to see, I mean, horror has been doing insanely well in theaters lately, last couple of years anyways, but you know, $20 million budget, it's already made 200 mil. So, yeah. We, great to see. yeah, we went on, my husband and I went on like a date yesterday, um, knowing that, you know, our days are numbered, just the two of us. And I was like, well, I really want to go to the movies because that's one thing that we both agree on that. It's a lot harder to do once you have kids. Mm-hmm. Like, you always take your kids to restaurants and, like, go out and do stuff, but you can't take your infant to a movie theater. And I was like, I, fuck, there's, like, three movies I want to see out right now, and two of them are horror. Like, that's crazy. Yeah. That I'm picking between two horror movies that I really want to see. And they're, like, there's a lot more coming this year, yeah. too. I All the trailers. Um, that is actually a perfect segue. So I did go see the new Pet Cemetery movie, um, which is getting... Very polarized online, which is funny because when it debuted um, not that long ago, it was like coming out of the debut. Everyone was super stoked on it. Dude, 
It's weird, too, because for me, at least, like, the communities I follow on Facebook, all I saw was negativity. Mm-hmm. And on Twitter, all I saw was positivity. Yep, yep. It's So on odd. Twitter, I was, like, all – I was only saying good things. And I saw somebody post, like, God, all these – all this stuff about pet cemeteries making me not want to see it anymore. I'm, like, what are you talking about? All I've heard is good things. And then I popped into, like, Facebook and, like, the Shockwaves group, and it was, like – um, like all these memes about how so like memes. sometimes like, so, the original yeah better. the original's yeah. better and blah yeah. blah blah and I was like wait what <clears throat> this is so crazy so I think there's two things that happened with that and it was like a big discussion before the movie came out this is not a remake of the original Pet Cemetery movie this is a uh, this is a reboot it's an adaptation of a book and that just so y'all know going forward if a movie comes out and it is a based if it if it is based on a book before a movie, it is no longer a remake of a movie. It is a new adaptation of that book. If there if there was, and like it kills me to even say this, but like if they remade Jaws, it would not be a remake of Jaws unless you stuck to the original source material. So like yeah. the here's the exception to the rule. If you do something like um, what what's his face did, I can't remember his name right now, but the guy who remade Psycho with Vince Vaughn, that is a shot for shot remake of Psycho. Not uh, Gus Van Zandt. That's who did it. It's not a reinterpretation of the book by Robert Block. That is a remake of a movie that was based on a book. This is taking the source material and making something new out of it. So it is a reboot. Don't, like comparing <laughs> well, it to the original. It's not even is a reboot. Silly. It's a new adaptation. Yeah, it's a new adaptation. Book. Yeah. So it's kind of silly to compare it to the original movie. Um, it's by Kevin Kolsch and uh, Dennis Widmer. Um, they did the movie Starry Eyes, which was really good. It was kind of like a an indie horror movie came out a couple years ago in like super weird trippy um it's nice to see like these guys get a shot at something big like this paramount putting out uh i super enjoyed it i think the ending fell a little flat for me but other than that like i love the set pieces it's it looks and feels like um our friend aaron posted on twitter and i agree with him like a hammer movie like these like beautiful like rolling fog forest swamp like set pieces and i just fell in love with that um, and it's definitely like a little more jump scary, which I was fine with. Like they set the scares up well, they're effective. They're not like, it's not throughout the entire movie. Um, I thought the acting was really good. John Lithgow just gets better with age somehow. Um, and he was, he carried a lot of that movie on him. Um, there's he's a, so good. Yeah, he's, he's so good. Um, there's an emotional gut punch that like, you know, if you saw the second trailer, you know what the twist is, but the way they pull it off in the movie still like just grabbed my heart and like ripped me up. Um, so I think it, like, like if I had to give it out of 10, like I give it a, a seven, like it's a solid seven movie. It's, it doesn't rewrite, it doesn't change anything, but you, like if you were to go in and just be like, this is a mo-, like not compare it. You'd just be like, this was a solid horror movie. So what about in comparison to the novel? That is where it differs a lot yeah. because I, it takes if, a lot of if, so if you are a fan of the novel, you yes. will probably hate this movie because it takes a lot of liberties. Um, but if you can disconnect, I mean, I'm a fan of the novel too, but if you are a fan who I can usually disconnect pretty well. I disconnect very well too. Um, it's one of my stronger character traits when it comes to like film watching. Like I love Watchmen and that movie completely separates itself, um, from the comic at the end of the movie, which a lot of people complained about the Harry Potter movies. A lot of people are like, well, they didn't put this, this, and this. I'm like, those books are 800 pages long. There's no way you're going to fit everything in a Mm -hmm. movie. Um, Stephen books, Stephen King books are similar. Um, you know, they're I mean, I listened to it. Pet Cemetery. how big is that? It's one of the smaller ones. Yeah. It is on the smaller side. But, like, no matter what, Stephen King's books are dense. Like, there's a lot of character there's, development. Yeah, there's, there's a, a lot of, of like, there's so much in your head of mm-hmm. a Stephen King book. It's not like 
like I mean the Harry Potter books are good but like it like Harry's feelings are portrayed very easily outside of Harry um but like Stephen King characters he you can't do that in a movie well especially a book like Pet Cemetery, which I got into a Twitter discussion about um this weekend um about like a couple of people being like well like maybe it's just I'm not caring for it because I'm a little desensitized or because I read the book when I was 13 and I'm like no I, I mean because I just read it I read it for the first time um I'm pretty sure last summer yeah it's I was pregnant yeah um I was pregnant when I read it and it was really hard for me and not and I think even separating the pregnancy because I was super early in my pregnancy so like even though it was real like the reality like of me having a child like I didn't know as much I was really a big difference between now where I like literally I know I'm having a son and I feel him move like 24 7 and right I know what he looks like and so like all this stuff like my child is much more real to me at this point than he was when I was reading the book at like six or seven weeks pregnant but Regardless, I think Pet Cemetery is just a really adult novel. Mm-hmm. And all Stephen King's work is adult, but I think some of it, like Carrie, for example, because I also just read that, is way more approachable as a teen. Well, because Pet and Cemetery can, is about grief. No, it's about grief and adult grief. Yeah. And Which grief you experience different. as an adult and the dread and the fear and I mean, it's the literally guilt. about being a parent yeah like, that's something you have to experience to yeah. be able to connect with those characters on that level or at least have had enough life experience mm-hmm. with other people being parents or with nieces and nephews or with a grief of a really close family member which when you're 13 years old that's usually something that you haven't had to have dealt with that's something i actually got into a discussion with my friend mike about because he literally finished the book like two days before the movie came out and oh. And he was saying, like, he still enjoyed the movie, but mm-hmm. he was saying, like, I, you know, the book is way better. I love the book. But, like, the thing he was saying, he's like, what people, though, he's like, the complaints I, I'm seeing, he's like, very rarely do I see a complaint I agree with, because a lot of the complaints, like, oh, it's not scary enough, blah, blah, blah. The book is not that scary. Like, overall, oh, it's, my, it's, but it's about, it's a, it's about grief, and it's about yeah. tension, and it's about, like, fear, and it's not like, it's not like It or Salem's Lot, where you actually have these, like, kind of, like in a book jump scares like these set pieces where these creatures are actually attacking you or appearing or anything like pet cemetery doesn't really have that like gage comes back but even when he comes back he's a two-year-old like you know like it's more about the horror of what his father has done yes exactly and the consequences not just of the fact that he's tried to bring his son back and he knows that wasn't the right decision but then that decision is causing harm to people who are still here. Right. And Lewis Creed spends so yeah. much of that Lewis Creed spends so much of that movie or that book rationalizing within himself and yeah. like internally fighting himself that you can't see that in the movie. Yeah. So it's very different. Um but Mike still liked it. Yeah. Uh they change they do completely change the ending from the book and the other movie. So huh. um it deviates a little. I did not love the end. But again, I love seeing Horror do well. It's made fifty yeah. million. So I mean, well, and I, what I was saying about the, I also watched the haunting of Sharon Tate, oh, yeah. um, which was fine, but um, the mostly the problems I had with it don't really have much to do with the movie, but um, they take some liberties with, I mean that's based on the Tate murders by the Manson family, 
and they take some liberties with the story that's true crime. Like, we know what happened because it happened in real life. So they're basing it off of subject matter of something that most of the population is familiar with. If you don't know the details, most people at least know that a very pregnant Sharon Tate was murdered in her home by the cult um, of Charles Manson. And it was started sort of the demise and his capture as those killings in particular. Um, and the, the book it, or the movie itself takes some liberties in with the fact that she's having premonitions and it allows you to kind of change the narrative. Right. The, the movie ends in the same way. They're all dead. Like that happens. But the path to get there is really different. And that's something I enjoyed about the movie because mm-hmm. it made it more interesting because I knew what was going to happen. And so if you're if you don't have an excellent biopic that's you know going to be incredibly well scripted and acted and going to make the you know story super interesting you have have to kind of you have to try try to do something and so they did do that so i'm not totally against that if you're taking something a book and a movie you know the ending really well and you're like well okay maybe let's do something different so that yep People I, don't walk into this and yeah, go, I'm not opposed to that. I actually really applaud them for deciding yeah. to do that um, because it's <clears> like, <throat> you know, especially in the horror genre, it's very like, it's hard to take a treasured movie and try to change something because the fans will be very, um, you know, avid about how they feel about it. Uh, well, but, and the thing that's funny about Pet Cemetery too is that because of when it came out, which is probably why there's a remake right now, but it's our generation's movie. I right. mean, we all grew up seeing that movie mm-hmm. on TV. Yeah, it was all on TV all did. the time. It's on TV all the time. That is, you, That was an adaptation that is very, just like the miniseries for It, very embedded in the tw- people who are in their late 20s, 30s right now, like the millennials. Yep. And so you're taking something that's beloved, which is working in a lot of other avenues. That's why we have freaking Fuller House and God, you know, we're taking all these things and that's why we're having Aladdin and Dumbo, well, Mm. not necessarily Dumbo, but like Aladdin and Beauty and the Beast and Lion King and all these things that we grew up with and we cherish, we want to see and we want to expose our kids to. Mm -hmm. But then you're also running the risk of that you are taking something that we have so much nostalgia for. Right. Yeah, it's a dangerous like it's a dangerous thing to try to take something. What were we just talking about that we were like something? Hmm. Where we were making that exact point that you know we really applauded them for you know not letting like the nostalgia get in the way. I don't remember. God, I don't know. Frequency brain. Um, I reminded sometimes. Uh, Sabrina, season two also launched or part two of season one, I suppose. Uh, I think that's how they're titling it on Netflix. I don't know. Um, So last night, I I did, I watched watched it all. No. One night. Yeah, right. Not anymore. I'm 30 and old. Uh, I watched, I rewatched the special, the winter special, which I absolutely love and still just really want to celebrate winter solstice this year because of it. Um, And then, yeah. Uh, Yeah, that's true. And then um, started, I got, I got into season two and I'm so excited because I absolutely love Sabrina and I think it, really found its legs by the end of that season and that special to me really showed yeah. like where it was going embracing its minor characters more and like doing everything like that so that is what i will be watching this week same um, and be watched a fuck ton of tv 
I did. So I'm like back to, at this point, I'm sort of back to like first trimester where I'm like just really tired, really not feeling that good. And so I've just been staying home a ton and like getting in bed instead of like running around like a crazy person, um, which I've been trying to still do because I am like in the middle of like launching this freelance company and like all this shit and like being really busy. But the last week I definitely had a lot of like got in bed at six o'clock as soon as I got home from work. We almost did a podcast today because he was like, I'm really tired. I'm I was like, it's so 530. Tired. I was like, if I didn't have, I was like laying on my couch and if I didn't know we had to record, I would have definitely just went to bed. Um, so I watched Santa Clarita Diet season three launched, um, last week, I believe. And I was told myself I wasn't going to binge it. I wanted to enjoy it. And I couldn't, I mean, I watched it all in like two days. Yeah. It was literally like two days. Oh my goodness. Like this show, I mean, we talked about how season two was just so superior to the first. They found, they found who the characters were and then they just really pushed that in season two and they just did it even more in season three. Where it's like, we know who these characters are. We know what their relationships are. Let's throw some, like, really zany situations at them. And this season was even goofier um, in the best possible way. Um, Really fun. Um, I like the world they're building. Um, It's interesting. It never feels like they're jumping the shark. It never feels like, oh, God, like... They're getting out of, like, crazy harebrained situations, but in really creative ways. That's an issue I have with a lot of shows where they'll get super close to getting caught or, you know, like everything like falling apart for them. And then it's like, oh, but they got out of it. And it's like some lame reason where in this show, like it's usually like the two main characters like fighting their asses to figure it out or their daughter coming in to like save the day and um, they make it interesting instead of just being like, yeah, they got out of it and now it's okay. Um, like they almost get caught by a cop and I think that's, that's the very end of like season two. Um, and then they start season three and how they get out of it ends up being a huge plot point for like the whole rest of the season. Um, and it's hilarious. It's so just ridiculously laugh out loud funny. Um, I kept rewinding parts cause I was like, wait, did I miss that? Um, and like, I want to watch it again already. Like I'll probably like watch it here in the next couple weeks. Um, so it was super good. If you liked the second season, definitely check it out. I hope I haven't seen or really heard much people talking about season three. I know it feels like it's just like, I feel like it kind of like snuck in there. Well, they didn't Um, do a great, like they seriously threw the trailer up and they're like, it's coming. And then it was like a week later and everyone's like, wait, what the fuck? It's here. Oh no. My friend Kayla, who like loved the first two seasons follows the stars on social media. That's how I knew because I follow Drew and because I engage with her posts. I see her posts. Um, and so that's how I knew it was out and that it was coming out soon. And I remembered April because obviously it's baby month. Baby month. So like anything with April and I'm like, what? Yes. April. (laughs) <laughs> what are you talking about? Um, but yeah, she's like, what? The third season of Santa Clarita Diet came out? And I was like, yeah. I was like, it came out a few days ago. And Netflix like, also is horrible at promoting their own content. Yeah. Like, they surprise dropped a Blumhouse movie. Nowhere on their page. You had to search for it. It's yeah. not even... You type in Mercy, it's not even the first fucking thing that yeah. pops up. I'm like, dude, this, this is... is your a, own movie. It's your yeah. own movie you did with the hottest horror movie company in Hollywood right now. Promote yourself better. 
Um, B also watched Sex Education. And I did. Barry. And Barry. But Sex Education is ne- Netflix, Netflix original. Yeah. Sex Education's Netflix original with um, Jillian Anderson. Anderson from X Files. Um, it, it was fun. I mean, really fun British show. Uh, definitely think there's a lot of cultural differences yes, between yes. how Americans in high school are exposed to sex and how either... I really want to know if this show is like has sex like over-prominent and... Um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, casual. Mm. Um, like, these are like, 16-year-old kids who have very um, advanced sex lives already um, and very complicated sex issues that I feel like most people, at least, I mean, that wasn't my experience in high school, and I didn't know any high schoolers who were having sort of these types of sexual relationships at that age. Yeah. So I think sex is a little bit more um, controversial at the high school age, and I know... What, in the UK, it's like 16 is when you graduate high school, right? And then you go to uni for two years, for 17 and 18. Sure. And then I you go no to college. Idea. I have no idea, honestly. I, mean, I believe you, yeah. I think it's something like that, that they actually graduate what we call high school at 16, and then they go to uni for two years, and then college, something like that. I mean, I'm probably butchering it, but I think I remember when I watched, like, Skins, that's how it worked, and my TV education, so I apologize for any people who actually know how it works, but, so I think maybe that's why, that's the only thing that I found, like, a little bit weird about it, is I was like, I think I'd find this funnier if they were in college, um, but it felt, like, a little weird that they were, like, super young, like, high school kids, but really funny, um, and a, you know, great portrait on just sort of the awkwardness that is just sexual relationships in general. I do Um, love anything that, like, makes sex awkward because sex is fucking awkward. Yeah, it is. Yeah, so I I, I like those portrayals. Yeah, I like those portrayals, and I like, I mean, good relationships between the, you know, the different cast members, a big ensemble cast, which all were fun and talented. It was just a really fun, easy show to watch. Um, You know, had, like, some annoying, like, teen show predictability that I was like, oh, God, like, do we have to get into this? But... You know, you ignore that and you enjoy what you get. So, it was fun. I mean, it was definitely worth watching for sure. Yeah. Um, and then I watched Barry, which um, is an HBO show created and starring Bill Hader. Um, he also, like, directs a lot of the episodes. Yeah, and Henry Winkler produces it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so, it's Bill Hader, Henry Winkler, and a variety of other people. It's about a hitman who um, gets an assignment to kill this guy in an acting class and he goes to the acting class to sort of make his mark and finds out that he really likes acting and Henry Winkler is this like drama this teacher at this school basically and he's like oh like maybe this is something I want to do like maybe I don't want to be a hitman anymore and he ends up killing this guy Ryan um in the first episode and staying in the in the acting class and so it's this like wonky it's a dark very dark comedy um uh more on like the drama side than on the comedy side for sure um it's just funny because of the scenario really but um it's really dark um and season two just came out right? yeah it's season yeah. two so first episode of season two is out so i watched that um, and it, you know, picks up right where it leaves, leaves off at season one and it's super enjoyable, incredibly well acted. Um, and 
an interesting story. I enjoy it because I I enjoy violent television shows like this, like this one is. Um, but it's very Dexter-esque in the fact that you're dealing with somebody who kills um, and morally knows it's wrong, but still does it. And he, I mean, it's not Dexter in the fact that, or whatever that show we watch with Penn Badgley. What was that show called? Us. No. no. Um, with Penn Badgley. Yeah, where he's like Dexter, basically. Uh, you? You. You. <laughs> Close enough. Yeah. So it's not like Dexter or you where you've got this, you know, psychopathic guy with killing tendencies. It's his job. Like, killing people is his job and he's really good at it. He's like an ex-Marine. Um, and so he deals with the more implications of like, no, I want to be an actor, but like, I'm tangled up in this like hitman life and that's kind of a hard thing. It's like being in a gang. You can't really just walk away from the fact that you are a hitman. Um, so all that stuff is funny, but also really interesting, and, um, it, yeah. It's, also, it's Bill Hader. It's Bill Hader. I mean, I he does so no wrong. I absolutely adore so him. So excited to see him in it. Like, just so yeah, excited. Me too. Uh, cool. So, the movie, the first movie that we are covering today, um, the movie for this episode, is Cold Prey, or as it is, uh, pronounced in Norway, uh, Fritt Vilt. Uh, I'm sure I butchered that too, but that that's what it looks like to me. Um, so Coldplay came out in 2006, and I I actually did the research for these episodes, and I listened to me, and I decided to use the Rotten Tomatoes uh, descriptions because mm-hmm. they are much more descriptive than IMDb. Um, so an afternoon of winter fun turns out to be unexpectedly unexpectedly chilling in this thriller. Five friends head out for a weekend of snowboarding in the Norwegian Alps. Eric and his longtime girlfriend, Janika, which looks like it's spelled out, it looks like it's Janik. Um, and his, um, Mikal and his significant other, Ingen and <laughs> Tobias. No, but what, to, what was his name? Morton Tobias. Morton Tobias yeah. is what they called him, or at least the dubbed version that we watched. No, he is credited as that. I as Morton Tobias. Yeah, as Morton Tobias, yeah. Tobias already feels like the odd man out since he's currently without a girlfriend and becomes a lot more uncomfortable when he breaks his leg while taking advantage of a secluded ski spot. It's getting late in the day, and injured Tobias needs to get out of the cold, so he and his friends take shelter in an abandoned ski lodge nearby, planning to head back into town in the morning. However, as the evening wears on, Tobias and his pals realize the lodge isn't as abandoned as they thought, and its sole inhabitant is a madman who's determined to see them dead. It's interesting that in that synopsis, it makes it seem like Tobias is the main character, and he is definitely not. No. Um, he, our main character is Yannicka. 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 Um... She is our main character, like, very easily. Tobias is sidelined much of the movie because his foot is broken. So and he's, he's just laying. He's, like, the comedic relief. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. He's just laying on the couch, like, intoxicated and, like, I can't move. I'm dead. Yeah, exactly. And, like, getting broke. So. I, I guess he's, like, one of the... He's the last one to survive besides her. Right. They, so yeah, he gets like, a little redemption at the end. Yeah. He a little bit more he's, time. He's shuffling around on his broken leg, which is very, very much infected. Uh, it was released October 13th, 2006, and I uh, couldn't find a budget on the movie, but it was, it made $3.7 million, and at $3.7 million, that is the, at the time, and I think maybe even still, the highest grossing movie in Norway, like Norwegian movie. Um, so That's it did crazy. very, very well. I wonder if horror is big in um, Norway. I mean, Dick loves it. I, my, one of my writers lives... Oh. He might be Swedish. 
I think he's sorry, I think it's, sorry we, Dick, but we need to take a geography. Class. Yeah, we really do. I know it's like up, I think it's popular in like the Icelandic area, like or yeah. Uh, but I, don't, I mean, it did well, well three point seven million. Well, yeah, like, that's you, what I'm saying. It's always but... hard. It's always weird. Like when I hear about like how movies like. I mean, Coco's the number one grossing movie ever in Mexico, and it did really well, but I look at the numbers, and I'm like, that wouldn't even break, like, top 20 in America. Right. Um, so it's always, like, hard to, like, think about. We're set um, Yeah, exactly. And also, we're so big. Like, Norway's not a very big right. country. Right. Yeah, there's only so many people who can go to see the movie exactly. in Norway. Yeah. Um, California has the population of most European countries. Yeah. It's ridiculous. I mean, we're big. huge. Probably uh, big. Yeah. I mean, yeah, fifth largest economy in the world yeah. or a state. Uh, I know, that's always like our government teacher. Like, what is it, junior year? It's like California government or something. And they're always like, I mean, this is like taking world government. You're not going to be able to learn everything about yeah. California government because we're the size of a country. It's ridiculous. Um, it was, So it doesn't have a... I, I don't know if this is all foreign movies. I don't think it is. But Rotten Tomatoes actually doesn't have a critic score for it. Um, 50, it's 55% with the audience, but... Very well received in the horror community. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it was like it did like lots of people just really liked it. Um, it's, I've always heard. I mean, I've definitely heard about it. Many yeah, times. And, and the then, cover, like if you are yeah. involved in the horror world, the cover That's is familiar. something you've seen. Yeah, for sure. And then when I reached out on Twitter, and of course, like her producer Brennan, like the expert he is, which is like, oh yeah, here there's a hundred movies be about slashers in other countries. What are you talking about? Always making me look bad. But I still hold to the fact that the slasher is an, it's obviously an American genre. Um, but when he was listing out like some of the foreign ones, um, Cold Prey, when he said that one, I was like, oh, and then also the Japanese version of Evil Dead, I guess, is a slasher. Right. Um, the American version is definitely not a slasher. Um, everybody was like, oh, yeah, Cold Prey. And they were talking about the sequels. And I'm like, well, it seems like people are pretty jazzed on it. So, like, let's do that. Yeah. Um... So very well received in the horror circle, and um, one of the quotes that was like I found was it's like the general consensus is a conventional but nicely handled slasher, which is very accurate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. B, I, what do you think of this cover? Um, it's fine. It's very two thousands. It's very two thousands. Um, so I don't. So I like that. I. It's like a bittersweet thing when I look at something and I know in what world it exists in because I like that but then that's not always the best thing right. if that makes sense like maybe the design trends that make this look like a 2000s like um, vacation slasher not really a slasher it just looks like a vacation horror, horror, mo- horror a movie, vacation yeah. horror movie a la like um, The Getaway and this looks just yeah, like, like The Getaway like Blaster yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's good because they're marketing it well um, it's not good in the fact that that doesn't necessarily mean it's well designed. This one's fine. Um, it does also kind of look like Blue Crush. Yeah. Like the, the type choice they chose. Um, so I mean, it's your standard sans serif, cold prey. They've got like the images of snow, like kind of over it coming through the text a little bit and really textured, really photoshoppy, really 2000s. Um, you get to see the cast at the top, which I appreciate and like. See them like snowboarding down, and then of course it has to have like some kind of skull thing, which is my biggest problem because why is that there? Yeah, it looks goofy. It looks goofy. It has nothing to do with the movie. Where's put the cabin down there? Because that's where they're at. They're at a ski resort. They're not. They're not stuck 
This isn't like the ruins or anything. They're not stuck in the snow. I would have liked it snow. more if like just in the <laughs> corner or something, it was the killer like marching up the hill. Like, I don't need a skull in the middle of it. I understand. It's a horror movie. Uh, It's a horror movie, so we need skulls. The tagline is, prepare for your final descent, which I enjoy because I love motif um, taglines, especially if they're not awful. So I like that one because sometimes you get them. Well, I guess they descend the... Yeah, you descend on the snow. That's a thing. They're snowboarding. That's your descent. Yeah. I mean, it's not like the descent. but Yeah. Uh, it does have sequels. I feel like a lot of movies we covered do not. This has two. Yeah. Like I said, it did very well. The third one apparently is like impossible to find in the States. Um, the second one is a direct sequel and takes place in, um, a hospital, like immediately following the events of this movie. And the third one is a prequel, but not so far back. It's not like a prequel. Where you find out about the killers. Yeah. It's just before the first movie so it's kind of like that wrong turn one where it's like it just happened before all the other movies happened basically they wanted to take a movie and like make it take place in like the 90s instead of the 2000s um magnus bell or bite did the score he has mostly only done stuff with this director so he did um cold prey 2 which it wasn't this director but he did carry on to that movie and he also did the wave which was roar um this score is weird it is very epic orchestral Mm -hmm very lord, lord of, of the, the rings. rings yeah which is super like it's beautiful yeah. it's a very we good kept going score. like wow this is really nice but really weird yeah it does not really fit the weird in this movie all. yeah and there were moments that would be like good like horror beats yeah but then it'd be like and sometimes like this epic build up and you'd be like all right it's like she's gonna charge the mountain or something yeah of being running away from a killer right so when it first happens, it makes sense. All four of them get to the top of this mountain. Yeah. They're looking out. They're going to snowboard. It's beautiful. It's like this huge scene, panoramic view. Oh, okay. Epic score makes sense here. But then it happens like a couple more times where she's like running down the hallway in the cabin. You're like, why is the score playing right now? Yeah, and there's this scene where she's like in the shed and she's like trying to find something and she kind of oh, feels yeah. defeated for yeah. a second. And then the score like starts getting all big again. And I'm like, I mean, what is she having a revelation? Like, mm-hmm. what is going yeah, on no, here? Yeah, it is a little off-putting sometimes. Like, you think something bigger is going to happen than it actually is. Yeah. Um, but it's not, that's the crazy part. It's like, it's not bad. It's, no. It's a very well-done It's score. just not fitting for the film. Yeah, it's not the fitting film. at all. Uh, so, Roar Uthog, or if you put that in, like, the translator to try to pronounce it, it was Roar Uthog. Mm-hmm. But we watched an interview and it was she called him Roar. Roar, yeah. So maybe um, that's acceptable for us. Yeah, like, I don't know. Sorry, Roar or Roar or uh, whatever your name is. Um, he did the so he did the Tide, which was um, it got nominated actually, I believe, for an Oscar for like uh, for foreign film when it came out. It was like a pretty successful. Um, th- it might have been nominated for um, effects, I think, but. Um, he also did Tomb Raider that came out last year with yeah. Alicia Vikander. Um, or Vikander. I'm just butchering names. I'm sorry, guys. Um, so he has broken into the See, mainstream. Uh, white California yes, kids over exactly. here. He has broken on, um, like, into mainstream success a little bit, which is cool to see. Yeah. What was like that? Um, he also wrote the movie alongside Martin Sundlin and Thomas Moldestad, who this is pretty much their only writing credits is um, this movie. So the, it was all three of them. Like, the stories were by them. There were some other people credited with, like, an idea, but, like, they crafted the main story of the movie. Uh, that, But they're, 
and then they go on to be credited with like idea for the mm-hmm. sequels, but not not right. Actually they didn't the actually sequels. write it. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Our cast is pretty small. It's pretty contained. Yeah, it's really just our two couples and Morton Tobias. Mm-hmm. Morton Tobias. And then our killer. Yep. That's really we don't. I, do we really meet anybody else? I don't think there's uh, the parents. Um, oh yeah, uh, which we see in flashbacks. Yeah, there's the opening scene as a kid running away and he's yeah. like scared and he dies and then you see the parents are like sad. Like it's this is happening over the credits, which we like. It's yeah, like, it's very similar to, like my bloody Valentine. Where you get the newspaper clippings yeah. that's setting you up the story with your, credits. with your credits. Yeah, so those, but that's it. I mean, other than the mm-hmm. five kids and the killer, that's your whole cast. There's not even like a cop or anything. Yeah. Um, so we don't e- see anybody when they go snowboarding. It's all very isolated. Remember those names we were just talking about how we oh. killed them? Okay, this is going to be real bad. Really embarrassing. Uh, so it's Ingrid Bolso Bertle as Yannicka, mm-hmm. um, who's been in Westworld and the Hercules with The Rock. Yeah, that movie. That That's, one. Those are her like big credits. Yeah. Um, she's been in like four episodes of Westworld. And then mm-hmm. Rolf Christian Larson as Morton Tobias. She's credited for Lilyhammer. Yeah, I only put that because I know Lilyhammer is a really big show in the UK. It's a BBC show mm. about like a detective. My mom loves it. Um, she and, loves, she loves yeah, those BBC she shows. She really does. Uh, but I like, because she loves it, I like looked into it and it is a very well received show over there. So, so that was like the and only And he thing. honestly like was one of the stronger actors. Even, even oh, with his yes. Minimal yeah, role. definitely. Um, <laughs> Tomas Alf Larson yep. as Eric. Or Eirik. I can't remember. Did it's pronounced Eric, Eric yeah. but it's spelled Eirik. E-I-R-I-C. Or I-K. Yeah. yeah. And then Andre Martin Mitstigan as Mikal. And then Rune Melby as the Mountain Man. And then I unfortunately forgot to put Ingen's. I, that's my bad. Sorry. I'm going to do some on-air Googling here because I don't want to leave anyone out. But Ingen was also played by... Um, none of them have really gone to do anything other than our main character here uh, they were all relatively like unknowns they've done like some bbc tv show stuff right um and ingen was played by victoria wing so yeah she has the most like uh american name i would say out of all of them yeah i mean victoria i mean well it's a british name but yeah and our killer's never named so he is the, the mountain, mountain man. man i like that yeah that's what he's credited as and that's what he is yeah he totally he became is. a man on the mountain <laughs> Yes, um, it is a like it is a true blue slasher. Yes. Like I, it, it, so Very the way we break this down is like our next section is you know classify subgenre and like I was like slasher and I know every movie we cover is a slasher but this is like no nope, this, this is a, a slasher, slasher movie um, and it's also a teen screen yeah because um, we do have like five older teenagers like they're our like, young adult yeah are exactly urban legend yeah or, it's yeah. our late twenties early yeah. our late um, teens early twenties uh, so the killer is the mountain man. You know. So, yeah, he's the kid that we see in the very beginning who um, is running away and gets lost um, and then, you know, presumably dies. It was The only downside is that um, we didn't have subtitles for what the newspaper articles said yeah. in the credits, so I think we would have gotten a little bit more explanation of what the public perceived to happen. It definitely seems like the public perceived like he went missing. So, like, you're kind of led to believe, oh, there's a killer on the mountain and he killed this kid and his parents were really sad about it, but also, like, they got a lot of attention. I think they got money from it. Right. They got something from it, like, which we miss with our Yeah, I don't know if there. it had to do with the lodge, the abandoned lodge that they find. I'm not sure. Because we do find out he the kid is the killer and his parents killed him. 
or yeah. thought they killed him. Yeah, that was their plan. Yeah, so he had to like grow up on the mountain and like learn to survive, and he has taken to like killing. He doesn't even eat them either. He's not a cannibal or anything, which we which thought. Which we thought. Yeah. We're like, oh, this guy's for sure eating these people. Yeah, because he has like a really creepy like lair, and he like is dragging them out in the middle of the snow. And I was like, oh yeah, he's totally gonna eat. Like, how else do you survive? But apparently, somehow else, like eating, I guess, ski lug food. Yeah. Because he just lived in their basement pretty much. Yeah. Um, But yeah, so he's not a cannibal. He's just a vindictive killer. Yeah. And killing people and has been like... I mean, the kill count's really small in this movie, um, but like... Like we said, we don't... I mean, he kills the cast. Yeah. That's it. But I would... Like, it's very much inferred he's been killing people for decades. Right. Yes. Like, this whole time. So, and that's the only thing that's a little bit confused about the story, too, is like... The lodge is abandoned now. When was it abandoned? Because there's a generator that worked. It seems like the 80s. Like, not abandoned. It it seems like he's existed there since the 80s because they find, like, stuff. And they're like, oh, look at how, like, outdated this stuff is. And they're, like, goofing around with it. And then there's also... But there is that scene when they get there, they know that the fire happened. Yeah. And they're like... But they're like, oh, but why is this here? And why is this... Like, why is this still here? So it seems like newer abandoned. I don't know. Again, I think some of that was like newspaper right. stuff that which we missed. We missed. Uh, the iconic weapon is the pickaxe, mm-hmm. which he carries around with him pretty much the entire movie. Um, he doesn't always use it to kill, but he's always like kind of like shoving people or poking people with it. Mm-hmm. Um, again, like kind of that My Bloody Valentine. Yeah, thing. and he has a really cool costume. I loved his costume. So his he's whole face like, is covered. yeah, his whole entire face is covered um, with a ski mask. Yeah, he has like ski goggles. Yeah, for sure. ski goggles. But and like then, the rest like, of him is kind of wrapped up in like yeah. furs, pretty much. And he's just looks like a freaking like really well equipped mountain man. Like not grizzly. Oh no, yeah, no. Not like I've been homeless and I'm tattered, but just like no, I went to Pacific Outfitters or well, what are they? REI or whatever, and like got the best gear possible to be in the snow and you're decked out. Like that's what he looks like. Yeah. Um. There's only four kills. Yeah. So you know. Um. There's not like we don't. There's not a whole lot of plot to dive into this movie. No. Like we said, it's true. It's a cat mouse game. Like mm-hmm. pretty much the whole thing. We get our five characters. It's very early established that Mikal and Ingen are like kind of hot heavy, and Yannicka and Mikal are or Eric are like the more serious long term couple, and Tobias is like the friend who doesn't have anyone, and then he breaks his leg while they're snowboarding. So they find this ski lodge and they're like, "Cool, we'll stay here. We have some booze. We have some food. We'll stay here for the night and then we'll go get help." Yeah. Um. And, like, there's no one there. And, you know, they're, like, cool. Like, I mean, they're late teens. They're, like, we're going to party. So that's exactly what they do. Uh, And then we get our first kill when um, Mikau and, like, kind of pushes Ingen to have sex with him. And she won't. And it's, he's kind of a douchebag. Like, she, like, wants to wait. And he's just like, oh, you're, what did he say? You're a cock tease. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he called her a cock tease. And he, like, leaves and he just goes to drink at the bar. And that is when we get our first kill is Ingen, um, who thinks, like, he's coming back as she finds, the mountain man finds her. Um, and that's actually probably our bloodiest kill in the movie, too. Because he, like, gets her, and, like, there's blood all over the floor, all over the bathroom. He gets her in the back. Yeah. Um, she's, like, or on the side, and she's, like, running through the hallways for a while um, before he finally, like, catches up to her. The kill take, uh, technically play, takes place off screen because they just find her body later in the snow. Yeah, and there's like a they there's a scene where um, Yannicka and like um, Eric are like trying to help Tobias pee outside. Yeah. And it's like a comic, like a comedic effort. So they're like 
flashing with this like comedic moments of that happening and then flashing back to the kill. And then as they're stumbling back in, it's right when she's at the door, like about to reach yeah. them, and he pulls her down. So they do very like, classic, yeah, very move. classic. Like when we say it's formulaic, like even to the structure of the kills. Oh yeah, absolutely. Of like not just necessarily how they're done, but like how it's so close that she almost got away and got her friends to notice, but then they're like casually having a great time in the other room while she's getting murdered. Yeah, this whole time too, like there's this weird like Morton Tobias is in love with Yannicka, like mm-hmm. that gets brought up, and she's like, "You're drunk or you're sick or like you, you shut up, you don't know what you're talking about." Yeah. While Yannicka is like very much excelling her relationship with Eric because they've decided to move in together. Mm-hmm. Um, so Eric leaves the next morning. He's like, "I'm gonna go get help. I'll come back." Like Tobias is worse. His leg is obviously infected. Um, you know, like the, the we- yeah, the weather's a little worse than we thought, so we can't all go. So I'll go get help. It's not a big deal. Um, and he makes it maybe like 20 feet outside before he's attacked. attacked. Yeah. But not killed. He's attacked. Um, which we noted, like we're like, okay, so either that's lame and we're not going to get an on-screen death or he's not dead. Yeah. So after this point, like Mikal has noticed that like Ingen, he like, she's still not answering the door. And so he thinks she's just pissed at him. So he's like, will you go talk to her, Yannicka? So she goes in there and finds the room just, like, bloody as shit. And that's kind of, like, when all, all the shit hits the fan. They, like, realize they have to get out of there. Um, and I forget exactly what happens, but Mikal is the one who, like, finds the mountain man. Because he, like, makes them barricade themselves in that room. Mm-hmm. And, all dude, these rooms in the ski lodge are, like, maybe four or five feet wide and, like, they're like train size. They're l- like there's cots. Yeah, like there's no bed. Like you're not sleeping in a bed. It's like a little teeny tiny cot. Like I was just like these are the smallest rooms reason. I've ever yeah. seen. Yeah. It's like camping. It yeah, pretty much. So they barricade themselves in the room and Mikhail's like I'm going to I got to go like I'm gonna, like I have to leave. Like that's the only way we're going to live and he makes it like Well, because they know that he's seen the mountain man. They're in this room together cuz Ryan and I were trying to decide, like, is he being an asshole? Is that something that we... What would we do in that situation? Because we try and play that game, like, with our characters. Is like, there's nothing more frustrating than when you're... Which we'll talk about when we talk about our next movie. When yeah. you're just like, oh my god, you're yeah. being so what, dumb. Like, these decisions like, what are making, these choices? No one would make this choice. Right, yeah. those are, like, what gives horror a bad name. Yeah. Like, with slashers, actually, in particular. Where it's like, oh my god, the girl was so dumb. We didn't really get that in this movie, but we were, like, trying to think, like, he's leaving because he's like, you guys, there's no way we're going to survive. He's going to knock this door down. Tobias can't walk. Yep. I have to go. Yeah. But it's not even like I have to, like, he kind of, like, it is a little bit like I'm saving myself. And he's like, but I will send back help. But, like, realistically, he's like, I'm saving myself. He's like, if... Like, we're not going to survive if we stay in this room. Yeah. Like, there's no chance I survive. So at least if I run and try and get out, like, I could survive. And that's what I was thinking, too. I was like, for me, I don't know. I think you don't know until you're in that situation. But, like, it would be so hard. I do know that if I was in Yannicka's position where you, she doesn't know at this point what has happened to her boyfriend. She doesn't know what's happened to Eric. I know that there's no possible way I would be able to leave the lodge knowing that my husband could be alive or my significant other. Right. Yeah. I just wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah. I wouldn't be able to, even if I survived, I wouldn't be able to live with myself if I left, sent back help, and they're like, well, he's dead. Because they've been like, what if I stayed? Like, there's no way. So you have to 
even when you think maybe it's a dumb decision, you kind of have to let your brain go there and be like, would I do that in that situation? Maybe. Probably. Yeah, it has that, to I make mean, sense. Uh, yeah, and that's which it I, does. I can and that's what I liked about yeah. all the choices these characters made, to, made in this, even mm-hmm. if it's like, like kind of the shitty thing to do and maybe not morally the best thing. It makes sense. It's like, well, I mean, it's valid. Right. So he makes it to, which we were very confused. So we're like, why is he running to the shed? I thought he was leaving. And we find out later it's because they need like skis right, to be able to snow. travel. Yeah. Um, but he, he's going to the shed, but there's a bear trap. So he gets ensnared. And then he hides in the shed. And like both me and I were like, well, that's not going to last long because the shed is like tiny. Like there's not a lot of space to hide. And sure enough, he just like pushes the ski poles over on the killer and makes it one foot out the door before he's tripped by the pickaxe. And um, his neck is broken yeah. as Yannicka and Tobias, uh, Tob- Morton Tobias watch on. Mm-hmm. Um, so Mikhail is dead. Ingen is definitely dead at this point. Um, and Yannicka, like, they make it down to the kitchen and they, like, kind of hole up in, like, the freezer, the food freezer. And she's, like, even she realizes, like, you can't travel. So you are going to stay here. It's the safest place you can be. I'm going to try to go get help. Um but then she goes out to the shed and she finds like a, a like a sled essentially to get him out of there. So she goes back to get him, um, but they're chased down into the basement. She finds she her boyfriend a, and she has a shotgun. Yeah, she finds too. a shotgun with one bullet. Yeah, and so they're like, okay, like we have one shot. They go down to the base. They're chased down to the basement. She finds Eric, and he's alive still. Um, yeah, he had just been knocked out. He had just yeah, he had just been knocked out. But then like this, like basically, he's in this separate room. And she comes out, and they trap the killer in the room. And she like, Tobias is like stoked because he's like, "Fuck yeah, we did it! He's trapped in there." She's and she's like, Eric's in there. Yeah, she's like bawling because she's like, she knows he's in there. And I called it, like I almost called it because I was like, "Oh great, she has one bullet in the shotgun. She's gonna o- that door is gonna fucking open. She's gonna shoot him." And that was pretty much the setup because the door opens and she goes to shoot, and Tobias actually realizes, "No, that's fucking Eric." Pulls the shotgun, it shoots to the side, but then right after our mountain man just he guts just him with the big axe. Yeah, and he lays there. Uh, and then, you know, Tobias does the, to me, very noble thing uh, to both of us. Um, and it's like, I can't make it go. Like, I'll, yeah. I'll hold him off. Um, so he tries to fight him with, like, a, a U knife, like a like utility razor, pretty much. Um, the mountain man kills him very quickly yeah. and then knocks out Yannicka. Um, so she wakes up. She's being dragged out in the snow under, like, literally all of her dead friend's bodies. Typical ending of a slasher where all the bodies come together at the end. Yep, which V loves. Yes, that's um, my fave. <laughs> and so he's, like, dragging up this hill, and we find out how he's been, dis- like, disposing of these bodies. Yeah. is like, dropping them in this crevice between, like, the between the mountain, pretty much. Yeah, so just, like, a hole, an ice hole, basically. Yeah, this scene was pretty good, I thought, because, like, yeah. it gave you a time limit. Like, she basically is, like, I, you she know, like... minutes to figure yeah. out what she was going to yeah, do. Yeah, like, here, what are my options? She's gonna, she can either run, she can either try and kill him, or she plays dead and yeah. then gets killed because yeah. he's going to just throw her in a ditch, which would kill her. Right, so she's, like, trying to decide, like, can I grab the pickaxe? And, uh, like, she grabs the knife off Tobias Morton's body, so she's able to do that. Um, and so she does put up a fight and like, it wasn't until the scene that I was like, that guy's fucking huge. Like the guy is like, the mountain man yeah, is massive. he's really big. Like, and like B was even saying like, she was like, she wouldn't stand a chance because mm-hmm. she was like, she was saying her and our friend Claire tried to, with both, all four of their arms to bring down one of her husband's arms and they couldn't we do couldn't. it. And I'm like, not a super weak person. Like 
I'm, and it was two of me. It was like me and my best friend, and we're both with both of our arms trying to pull down my husband that we could not. So I mean, he's a big, strong guy. Yeah. I mean, it's just you. There's no physical match between normally even just an average woman and an average guy. Like we're just gonna be outweighed. And, like, this is, like, not an average guy. There's no world in which I would look at him and go, I have any fucking chance overpowering him in any physical way. Yeah. Not going to happen. And that's actually something that I don't, like, I don't love in horror movies if they ignore those factors, especially if we have female killers. Like, I want that to be a more realistic scenario because a female killer is scarier when she's using... Her femininity to be a scary killer yep. and in most aspects and this is of course not going to be every situation but in most aspects especially let's talk about urban legend again let's talk about like rebecca gayhart that is a tiny woman yeah um there's nobody that she went even though the most of the men in that movie are not big guys. Yeah, Joshua and, Jackson and Michael. Yeah, Wilson are not, not big guys. Leto, yeah. yeah, you know, you don't look at them and go like, "Oh, those guys are really intimidating." But they will still have more, like, physical power over five foot Rebecca Gayhart. Um, and so, what makes her a terrifying killer is because she's fucking psycho and devious and makes up plans and poisons them with. Poison. Yeah. And like down their mouth. So, you know, so it's like that's what makes it interesting and not ignoring that. And so, with this, what I really liked is I'm like, she's got to be smart because mm-hmm. if she just like were to get up and just like, we knowing that she's like an average woman, like beat the shit out of him or overpower him or just push him in, we'd be like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like, sure, that'd be nice, but that's not going to happen. Yeah. So, I mean, she does essentially like pretty much trick him into like lunging for her and yeah. falling down. Yeah. Um, which was solid. Yeah. Like, I she mean, uses her brains. Yeah. Like, because I was even saying, like, it's just totally. run up and push him in. And he was like, no, it no, that, that wouldn't way. happen. Yeah. Like, he, like he's she just could, not going to happen. Yeah. She yeah. could literally run up against him in full force, even surprise him, and he could probably still recover from it. Yeah. So, I was not like, enough oh, force. Okay. So, yeah. Um, pretty solid editing. Yeah. And if you're interested in the sequel, like I said, it takes up literally with the same characters um, as soon as she gets to the hospital and, like, his corpse coming to the corpse in quotes um coming coming to the hospital um so our final girl is yannica um she's pretty solid yeah she definitely the whole movie um i mean she uh, like she has a very solid like connection with her boyfriend that feels believable Mm -hmm. and real it's not like this like kind of like because they just agree to move in with each other so it feels a little more solidified it's not like this high school love or anything like that and you know she doesn't want to leave because she's like no like just like you um you know she's like no eric couldn't be here so like i'm not gonna leave um and she fights back like the whole movie she's smart i mean Mm -hmm. she uses her resources well Um, and originally their plan when they're in the basement isn't for her to shoot the gun and isn't for him to her to kill him she uses it to try and knock him out mm -hmm. um and so knowing that she only has one shot and that's a big risk to take yep um, so, I mean, she's a smart final girl. She really is trying to figure this out. And she's noble. She's trying to save her friend. She's trying to make sure that she's still there for her boyfriend, who might also be alive. And before they, because they didn't know at the time, Ingen. Um, well, they did once they found her. But, um, yeah. 
I mean, what more can you ask from a final girl? Yeah, and that's, again, this guy... It plays into, like, all of the... It is a very, like, standard slasher. Like, because mm-hmm. to very me... Hollow, in like a Carpenter. Yeah, to me, in slasher. a standard slasher, you have... Like, in a standard good slasher, you have a final girl that you root for, that is bold, that, um, like, you know, like, we've talked about it. Part of the reason I think, like, Happy Death Day and Scream stand out as slasher so much is because Scream and Tree have arcs, which she doesn't. So, like, that's a step above. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, like, excellent. But, like, a good sla- final girl slasher has, like, noble intentions, is, like, overcomes her adversaries, um, is resourceful. Um, you know, like, I think all those things play, and she's very much into like in line with those Mm -hmm. as well as just like the rest of the movie being a very like you know kind of it's it's definitely not it doesn't feel long it moves Mm -hmm. moves fast um the cat and mouse game like is it like there's not like once once they find out he exists he exists like we're not like there's not a lot of hiding it's mostly just running because they know they have nowhere to hide they don't know this mountain they don't know the ski lodge like anything like that so it's either confrontation or running so the movie moves at like a pretty quick pace yeah, and it, I mean, when we say formulaic, it's even following not just the fact that it has a final girl, but following, like, the blueprint that's really set up my, by my Bloody Valentine, which then gets super reinforced by Friday the 13th, where you can have, you have a um, situation that happens um, in the very beginning of your film, and there's a flash forward in time. So we have that, our killer is, you know, killed by his parents in the very beginning of the movie um we expect him to be dead we have a flash forward um you have a group of young people coming together to the killer's location that's another like very common like slasher trope in the original blueprint where the kids come to him Mm -hmm. so it's just like friday the 13th it's the group of kids coming to camp crystal lake it's not him coming to them it's the people who live on elm street Mm -hmm. Um, Freddy comes it's into Haddonfield. their dreams. You know, it's Haddonfield, the mm-hmm. town. Um, it's not happening anywhere. It's happening in this specific place. So that is a big thing. Um, you know, the like I said, the flash forward, the, the teens happening there. So it's like everything about this really is following, like, the 80s blueprint that was set forward that all those films followed. Um, which is why when you watch it, you're like, oh, this works because it has because it's going to work. Because it's following the blueprint perfectly. Yeah. Um, Does that make it the most interesting? No. no but it It's not. It's yeah. really, there's nothing about this where I was like, wow, that's awesome. Like, we need to tell, like, all of our friends should have been over here to watch this one. Like, there's no part of me that was like, yep, I gotta, like, tell the world about Cold Prey. I was like, no, it's, what's a good slasher? Yep. It did its job. Yeah, exactly. It does its job yeah. very well. Also, WrestleMania check-in for anyone I cannot believe what's happening right now. John Cena just came out in his original gimmick uniform, which is Thugonomics. He's the professor of Thugonomics. Oh, I thought um, you were going to talk about the fact that there's been a guy playing acoustic guitar on the TV no, for normal. the last 10 minutes. That's Elias Sampson. That's normal? Yeah, that's normal. I thought this was wrestling. No, he does that. That's his gimmick. Oh, God. But John Cena just came out with a giant chain around his neck, his hat on backwards. He's wearing, like, four baseball... John Cena, you're famous now. You don't need to be here. Nah, he loves it. Um, anyways, entertained. Uh, anyways, I'm entertained. Yeah, it's like we just mentioned. Not poor landscape doesn't really exist. It's you know it is. If you were like, what's a foreign slasher? It'll be near the top of the list. Yeah. Um, but outside of that, yeah. it's not going to really permeate into the landscape. Yeah, because it doesn't need to. Uh, do you have a favorite kill? There's not a lot that happens. 
I guess uh, Ingen. Uh, yeah, I guess Ingen's the most interesting because it's our first kill. It establishes it. It's the goriest. Yeah. Um, and it's drug out the longest. Yeah. I mean, it's you definitely... You know, it's way more. Like, he hits her. She gets away. And then we play into the whole fact of, like, she's running. And I'm like, he knows the place. She's in a foreign place with a bunch of doors that she doesn't know. And she's here with a killer who knows this place like the back of his hand. It's Jason and his tunnels. Yeah, and pretty much. Her. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Uh, so if you are unaware, at the end of every episode, we rank our, um, we rank the movie at keepstreaming.com slash the dash list, and this will be our 36th movie. Um, so number one is still My Bloody Valentine from 1981, which has been reigning champ since we reviewed it, or went, uh, like, went over it, uh, over a year ago now, and at the bottom of our list, uh, we have April Fool's Day, which is there for specific reasons, yeah. or, like, a true slasher, that's at the bottom is Girls Night Out, number 34. And I did a lot of defending of Stage Fright this week on Twitter. Yeah, that was and, fun. And uh, friendly reminder, that is in our top ten still. Yeah. Um, it is number nine, and I think that is still a great place for it. Yep. And so I kind of went in and even like on our website explained more that um, our rankings based on how we think these films hold up as slashers themselves. So it can be a great movie, but be on the bottom of the list if it doesn't work as a slasher. Oh, and that we're analyzing each film to see if it follows traditional slasher slasher formulas and tropes and if it does not does it improve on them right does it do something so original that like happy death day that we're like no it's good it broke the formula in a good way right and it made it a better slasher because it did that that is what this list is so i'm looking right around because it is good yeah but it's nothing like amazing i'm looking so it's it reminds me of like when we analyzed my super psycho 16 where we're like yeah this movie has flaws but it is so like perfect to the formula where it just really paint by number follows it Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i don't think it's better than most likely to die though no, I don't think so either. So, but then I was going to say the thing that my Super Psycho Sweet 16 does is it pushes the fun parts of the blueprint right. and really pushes like the costumes. We have really creative kills. Really creative kills, a high kill count. So those the add fun killer, in. Yeah. So it's a blueprint movie. My Super Psycho Sweet 16 is such a blueprint movie, but it really um, plays into the fact that it's a teen scream. Um, and has fun with it. Where this is a blueprint movie um, that, you know, doesn't... It's so limited by its cast. Right. Um, and by its kills um, that it doesn't... We don't have a ton to work with. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I think maybe... I was actually looking at, like, right around 20... Yeah, I think in 21. this range... Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe better than Child's Play as a slasher. I think so. I well, yeah. That's exactly where I was looking because I don't think it's better than Intruder because Intruder still does more with the kills. Um, like I think the killer is as shallow as the Mountain Man, as good as the Mountain Man is. Like he's very shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is probably better than the killer Intruder at least because you know he's like got a really cool like outfit and he's yeah. like, really big and intimidating. He's got a little bit better motive than like, like my they're firing me from my store. Right, but like Intruder has some really beautiful shots, really creative things, um, great kills. Um, but Child's Play as a slasher, you know, like we just talked about, I do think this works 
better yes. as a slasher. Um, so I think number 21. Cool. So this is now Cold Prey, our first foreign slasher. Well, besides the Giallos. Yes. Um, is going to be after Intruder and before Child's Play. At number 20. And that is specifically why we covered Cold Prey. We really wanted to do um, foreign that's not a Giallo um, because we have done three, no, two now. Two. Uh, we've done Deep Red and... Which uh, I really enjoyed both of them. Blood, uh, Bay of Blood. Yeah, me too. Um, and we'll definitely do more of those, but that's a resource we can tap a lot more than we can with this. So we really wanted to like branch out and try to do something a little different. Um, cool. So that is our new number 20. And then, yeah, uh, as we said, our new episode will be out two weeks after this, but it will be, we're recording it right now, so it's going to be just the movie. Yeah. Uh, and we will still go through it and rank it, everything like that, like we do with all the other movies, but no pop culture check it or anything. Um, just going through the movie. Unless you so, want Ryan to recap the WrestleMania, WrestleMania yeah. that's been on in the background. <laughs> I mean, I could, but... Uh, so we will have that for you guys in two weeks when you're hearing this. Um, and then depending on how the how everything goes with Bee's pregnancy, um, we might have well, a, a filler episode or two. Um, people have... Brandon has offered to guest host or whatever. We'll see we'll how Bee's feeling. Here. It's all how she's feeling, so that's how we will decide. Uh, cool. So we will be back in two weeks. And until then, keep screaming.